it was easy to make the shift from being the advisor to the chair and traveling with him and such to what I do now, because I feel like what I'm doing now was as, as important as what I tried to do with Justice Sinclair, which is continue to turn on lights on reconciliation. Indigenous perspectives. Indigenous perspectives. Indigenous perspectives. Stories from Indigenous public servants. Kansai. This is Indigenous Perspectives, a program where we hope to explore the experiences and perspectives of Indigenous public servants, what reconciliation means to them, and what it can be for Canada. On June 2, 2015, Justice Murray Sinclair, Chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, officially presented the 94 recommendations of the Commission six years in the making. In his remarks, Justice Sinclair characterized the residential school experience as one of the darkest, most troubling chapters in our collective history. Over 100 years of mistreatment of more than 150,000 First Nation, Inui, and Métis children placed in these schools. Seven generations of Indigenous children denied their identity. Separated from their language, culture, spiritual traditions, and their collective history, these children became unable to answer questions as simple as, Where do I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? And who am I? Fundamental questions that guide us in life, influence our choices, strengthen our ability to take advantage of opportunities, and help us find and fulfill our sense of self. Justice Sinclair proclaimed that the survivors have entrusted us, and by extension, all the people in Canada, with two priorities. First, the survivors need to know before they leave this earth that people understand what happened and what the schools did to them. Second, the survivors need to know that having been heard and understood, that we will act to ensure the repair of damages done. We must endeavor to become a society that champions human rights, truth, and tolerance, not by avoiding a dark history, but rather by confronting it. If we are to truly live by our convictions, we must confront and accept that Canada's history includes a history that's inconsistent with how we see ourselves. We must all call for the ongoing progress of reconciliation, regardless of political affiliation, cultural background, or personal history of connection to this dark history. Reconciliation is not an indigenous problem. It involves all of us. The eyes of the world and the gaze of history is upon us. What we do now and in the years ahead matters a great deal. It matters not only to those who are with us today, but also the generations to come and those who are not with us today, but whose memories we must honor. We must work together. We must speak the truth. At its heart, reconciliation 
is about forming respect. Great words of wisdom from Justice Murray Sinclair. And now, in their own words, the thoughts and feelings of some of Canada's own public servants on their past, our collective past, and the path forward. I am a survivor of the 60 Scoop policy. I have been reintegrated to my family. I met my family, got to know my grandfather and such, and my birth mother as well. Um, so I was raised in a um, typical um, dysfunctional family, I guess. I don't know if that's typical or not, but I, um, um, my father was uh, non-Aboriginal, and I was raised in a very... Uh, um, dysfunctional place. So I went off and joined the army. Um, I believe like many indigenous people believe that uh, we were offside or stupid or s inferior. And, uh, so I went off and I joined the army, ran, jumped from the pot and in some respects into the fire. So I joined, I joined the infantry and I was very proud of my service, but it was a tough place. I, I left wounded after 10 years, not only physically, but spiritually as well. I find a lot of the people that I've spoken to, especially in the, in the federal public service, there's a lot of trepidation as well. They don't really see there's going to be a lot of changes. You know, it's it maybe just going through the motions or just putting up a good face. At the same time, too, I've seen a lot of non-Aboriginals in the government who are supporting and who really believe that there, there's something wrong. It's just that the way we're structured isn't, it isn't fixing the problem. It's hard because the political system isn't made to really make quick and decisive decisions. There's a lot of debate and a lot of conversation going on. And, and it's really hard, too, if the whole Reconciliation Council or review happening Canada-wide, uh, you can see there's a lot of faith being dropped off the board because of the people that are resigning from the commission or getting new jobs or they have these consultations, these meetings, they gather these stories. But what are they going to do with these stories in the end? You know, they're not going to force feed them down anybody's throat. So people have to come to the table. But just the fact that we're collecting that information, that we're getting these stories, we're documenting it, it's a, it's a really significant thing. And I don't want to understate it. Uh, I, like I said, I'm very hesitant to the results of everything. But the fact that we have these stories, you know, maybe my daughter, who's three years old, she might have some stories about reconciliation in her curriculum, maybe about how Canada and the United States and North America in general was part of like one of the largest cultural one of the largest cultural genocides both physically and in the cultural sense. Growing up I never had any exposure to anything like that. You know, we had a few anecdotal Thanksgiving stories that were always kind of tilted in a colonial storytelling and were always a little bit too peachy for for reality. But we never learned anything about residential schools. It wasn't part of the curriculum. And I, and I, I think it is now. I've spoken to some people about it, but growing up in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't a conversation. People weren't interested. So it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a progressive move that we are talking about it now. And hopefully our kids might be a little bit more actual knowledge about what happened in the past.
You know, in our own life journeys, if we can be aware that uh, those of us that were raised before 1980, you know, a lot of the things, a lot, you know, because I do hear, well, that was a, that was appropriate because it was the vision of the day. Well, it wasn't appropriate even for those times, but you know what? Um, a lot of people don't know about the legacy of residential schools, and that's okay. But if people can create a space to learn, um, there is one document that's online that is very good document. It's called They Came for Their Children. And if people Google TRC, comma, they came for the children. So about a 35-page document. If they can read that, um, I think it'll give a pretty good condensed version of what this country has gone through. And if people are open to, okay, maybe what I was told about Indigenous peoples was wrong, or maybe my view needs to evolve a bit, then I think we're on to something. Ultimately, reconciliation comes down to whether Indigenous people in Canada can feel safe to be themselves wherever they are. Accessing uh, services, you know, having a job, living a life in different parts of the country, can they feel safe? And this is where a lot of the calls to action from the uh, TRC come into play, where there's, there's recommendations not just about government, there's recommendations about how teachers conduct themselves in schools uh, in terms of being trained and aware of the history of residential schools and, and, and the importance of teaching the kids in a way that is culturally relevant and, and engaged. There are recommendations for lawyers to make sure that lawyers in their practice are fully briefed and respecting Indigenous rights in their practice. There are recommendations for businesses. There are recommendations for medical practitioners to make sure that the healthcare experience for Indigenous people is safe and nurturing. There are recommendations in the TRC for, uh, again, for police. There are recommendations for universities and how they design curriculum, how they manage research, how they manage uh, partnerships with communities. It was out of luck that I was tapped to go to the TRC. So I took a secondment from the federal government into the TRC. And um, um, about two or three months after joining the TRC, I was tapped to uh, be the advisor to the chair. And it was four years, as you can imagine, it was very emotional. Uh, working for Justice St. Clair was incredibly challenging because, first of all, He's been a judge since he was 38, since 1988 or 18, 1989. So there's nothing legally that I could inform him that he didn't know already. And he was a profound reader. He would, I would tell him about a book at supper time and the next morning he would have read it. And he's just assumed so much information. He's like that. And, uh, but just a kind gentleman and, and it was a safe space, but uh, you had to bring your A game when you work for Justice Sinclair and professionally it honed me in. Uh, he's very spiritual. Uh, he's Medeoan and he would go off to ceremony and, um, the TRC was infused with uh, ceremony as well. So it was an amazing journey, but as you can imagine, four years, uh, emotional, um, spiritually damaging in, in, in some respects, I guess, because I didn't uh, protect myself very well. So I, while I was at the TRC, I, uh, you know, I had to go into therapy. I think uh, a few employees did, um, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, I think I'm uh, richer as a result of that. How could anyone protect themselves against the sort of things that you would be exposed to as part of that process? Is, is it even possible? 
You know, I'm not sure. We haven't, the uh, TRC employees, we haven't all gotten together, but I can tell you there's more than just me that has uh, walked away spiritually injured. You know, we used to use the analogy to honor the stories, but let them wash off you. I shared that with my therapist just last week, and, and she said, that's a great analogy, but you know what? No matter how much you do that, uh, some stuff will stick. And I just did not um, protect myself the way I I think I could have protected myself better. You kind of want to wanted to honor the survivors and their emotional time by, by acknowledging the emotional moment. And uh, I just didn't wash the stories off very well. And a lot of that stuff stick. And I made connections to, to their survivor story with my own personal story, abuse on multiple levels. And um, I didn't realize when I started with the TRC how much the stories and experiences of survivors were my experiences as well. Even though I was raised in a non-Aboriginal family, uh, the issues around shame, abuse on multiple levels, um, those were my stories as well. And uh, it, uh, I had to go in and check in with a professional just to make sure that I got through it as healthy as possible. I'm still in therapy. Um, as a veteran, I'm now with the Operational Stress Injury Clinic, which is set up for veterans with PTSD. And uh, so... We'll continue with my uh, my own healing journey. Um, I know that there are TRC employees that are out there that are also suffering as well, and I just pray that um, them and others that have been impacted by this can have an opportunity to heal as well. It's, it was an emotional time, not only for survivors, but anyone that's been involved with it. See, that's one of the things that I try and do now is is to share internally. There's a mental health component to this, right? And there were hundreds of people that and within government that supported the the applications, had to read the applications. And as you can imagine, they're very, very emotional stories. So I hope that um, this department can support um, people that are um, impacted, that they can... Uh, find a, a, a safe journey as they heal. When I, I honestly learned about um, the cultural genocide and the actual genocide of people um, in my late 20s, early 30s, I'm only 35 myself right now. And that's, that's kind of ridiculous to me that somebody, like I, I, I consider myself pretty well well, learn in, in most regards. I, I like science and technology and I like history, but uh, you know, the, the victors write the history books. And a lot of history books I was, I was read, uh, read never really spoke anything about the losing side, you know, the Aboriginal side, the ones who had to live in the reserves and had to have their lands taken away and things like that. And uh, it, it's hard for me to identify too because I never had that identity uh, as Aboriginal. It's, it's a bit tricky. It's a, it's a, it, there's a lot, lot to be said and a lot to be heard and, and all of it. Tell me about the sort of work that you're doing right now. Is it, is it difficult to go from something that monumental and historic to you know, a regular job yeah. again, so to speak? You know what? I... Um no, not so much because right now I'm wounded. I have an accommodation with my boss and um, I am in therapy and there's emotional recovery associated with that. Thank God there's veterans affairs and the, uh, the support that they've been giving me, you know, they're paying for 
there's a physical manifestation of my PTSD. So I have a kinesiologist, I have a physiotherapist, a massage therapist, and a therapist. And so that takes a lot of time away. And emotional recovery associated with that, right? So um, I have a safe space. And regardless of how important I, you know, whatever I'm doing, I speak on reconciliation now. My struggle with my PTSD is sustained concentration. So I have a uh, a challenge of writing and sustained reading, concentration with reading, and that shot. But because of my safe space, it allows me an opportunity to go off and, and uh, continue to give my presentations on, on a bit of the speaker circuit, not only within the federal government, but beyond as well. Churches, and, you know, last night I spoke to the Big Brothers Association, Kiwanis Club in the not-too-distant future. I'm going to go off to uh, West uh, for to uh, to speak out there as well, to schools and such. So it's healing for me to share so I get something back out of it, right? Kind of like what you and I are talking about right now. It is healing. As you can see, it is emotional. I do kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve, but that's okay. Um, and, um, you know, we'll get through this. But in the meantime, it's something that I believe in. So... Um, it's, it was easy to, to, to make this shift from being the advisor to the chair and traveling with him and such to what I do now because I feel like what I'm doing now was as, as important as what I tried to do with Justice Sinclair, which is continue to turn on lights on reconciliation. You know, you kind of, um, you know, if you speak in front of 100 or 200 people, it feels good to do that and and people come up and really thank you for that or if, or you know some of these speaking engagements will come back and there'll be six or seven emails in my inbox and people thanking me for you know my authentic story that a lot of times people it's like aboriginal awareness people are like yeah yeah I, I i've done that i know that right but i think with my presentation which is a non-government a present government canada presentation i have permission to deliver it it's not sanitized it's real it's authentic and i go by no speaking points um, and it's my authentic story within the presentation. So I think people appreciate it. It's just like, wow, this isn't a government kind of sanitized, good old clean, you know, it's not, but it, 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 in no circumstances do I feel that it damages. It doesn't damage the government because it was in partnership with the churches and it doesn't damage the churches. I'm not here to point fingers at anyone. I'm just here to inspire reconciliation. And that's, in essence, what one of the things that Justice Sinclair, in being witness to him as he was in his travels watching, he brought people that were part of the residential school legacy, right? But it's not up to us to turn the mirror against anyone or point fingers at anyone. You know, if people are going to be inspired by reconciliation, then um, they're not going to do it if they're wounded. They're going to do it if... They're going to get on board, I say, the reconciliation train if they're inspired to do something about it, not if they're wounded. Indigenous Perspectives, Stories from Indigenous Public Servants, is a production of Employment and Social Development Canada. All opinions expressed on Indigenous Perspectives are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. 
public servants featured in this episode were Brian Jador, Daniel Jete, and Tim Malone. Our main title music is by Boogie the Beat, with additional music provided by Greg Ryder. I'm Todd Lyons, host, writer, and technical producer for this series. Thank you for listening. Yeah.